Pastor Stan. Thanks, Pastor Stevie. Well, good morning. Good morning. How are y'all? Doing good? I'm so glad you were here today. Labor Day, I thought, you know, Labor Day means you got to work, right? Yep. It's like the way y'all get the day off. That's just the way we do it. It's hey, so good to have you here. Hey, we are starting a new series today. Uh, we're tag teaming it. Scott, myself, and Pastor Stevie are going to be preaching this series, and it's called uh, Changed by the Challenges. You ever seen a challenge in baseball? Like they do the challenge, like they call them safe, and they redo it, and they're like, no, he was out by this much. Some of y'all missing it by this much, right? It's like, oh, you're almost there. Changed by the challenges, and I'm excited about this message. It's one of my favorite stories in the Bible uh, to preach on because there's so much miscommunication in it. And so I want to talk to you today um, about unmet expectations and how do we deal with it? How do we deal with unmet expectations? And so, um, so as we talked about like what series we should do, um, it's at least more, four major things that we deal with in life. Um, and so I, I told Scott and Stevie, I said, just man, think of something that you, you feel we need to preach on. Um, and I'm going to, I got first pick because when you're the preacher, you always get first pick. Uh, I told them, this is what I'm preaching on, so don't steal my stuff, bro. Um, and so they, they, they sent me what they're going to preach on. It's going to be really good. But it's, it's properly navigating the storms in life that determines whether you succeed or fail. Uh, there was a story that I heard, a true story about um, two young black guys who they interviewed, and they both came from the ghetto, and they had a drug-addicted mom, no dad in the picture, and they did this interview. And the first young man was, was strung out on drugs, and they asked him, they said, well, you know, why are you the way you are? He goes, well, my, I grew up in the ghetto, my mom was a drug addict, and that's just the path that I followed. And they interviewed his brother, professional athlete. They said, well, why are you the way you are? He said, well, I grew up in the ghetto, my mom was a drug addict. Same exact answer, two totally different results. It's what you do with it, right? What, what life throws you is what you do with it's going to determine whether or not you win or whether you lose. And so our challenge number one, the first kickoff of this series, is dealing with unmet expectations. And my personal opinion is that's the number one problem we have in relationships. Now, many of you are expecting a message to be a certain length today. I will tell you, I have, I have seven pages of notes Four is normal. You gonna help me get through this or not, right? The more you amen, the faster we get through this. Um, but I also want to be thorough in what we talk about, because uh, what I have found is the more information you're given, the less you remember, right? That's usually how it happens. But I think because of the, the topic today, I think most of you are going to stay pretty interested, uh, because this really is the, the main problem we have in any relationship. Uh, anytime we get spun up by something, anytime something bothers us, it's because it did not turn out the way we expected. We had expectations that it didn't happen, and so we get spun up by it. So my problem personally with baseball, uh, especially as I love baseball, is my problem, and here's, here's the truth. Lord, this is the truth. I get so focused on winning that, or my team winning that I forget to just simply enjoy the game. I love the game of baseball. I love the strategy. Scott one time said it's the best team individual sport there is. Individual meaning is a pitcher throwing at a batter. I mean, it's that individual moment where I got to try to strike you out and you got to try to defeat me by hitting the ball. And yet it's a team sport. And, and so for me, I love the game. I love the beauty of it. I love not all of it. I love, I hate losing. I really do. Um, but for somebody to win, somebody else has got to lose, right? And, and for me, but I, I can get so focused on the win column that I forget to just simply enjoy the game. And don't we do this in our relationships? We do this in our marriages. We get so focused on winning or losing that we forget to enjoy each other. 
We forget to say, you know what? There was a time that we were madly in love. Okay, get back to that if you've lost it. Again, our, our life group, my wife and I teach. Um, I absolutely love my wife. We've been married uh, 29 years in going on, going on 30. <laughs> if you're not a mathematician, you, when, after 29, you go on 30. And, um, and, and yet we still have our moments. I call them marriage moments, our, our moments of miscommunication, the moments of unmet expectations. And so we still have to work through these. Uh, so next Sunday night, we, I will be actually uh, back in Florida. We're going to get to see the, the birth of my grandson. Um, and I don't know what his name is yet, but actually, I don't know if I'm going to see it. And I, and I talk about the birth, they're actually going to open up the oven and pop him out um, with a C-section because of the, the, just the situation. And so that's going to be fun uh, to see this little grandson. And I get to see my granddaughter who put an enormous amount of pepper on a bunch of potatoes last night. If you didn't see the picture, uh, she just got this look on her face like, I really screwed up. Um, or it was really funny. It wasn't a screw up at all. I, I can't tell with her. And so, anyhow, let's get into this. Um, one of my favorite stories found in 2 Kings chapter 5. So what I want to do is I want to read through the story so we kind of get a flavor of what's happening, and then we'll go back and break it down and talk about some of the details. All right, you ready? All right, now a man named Naaman was a commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man. This is character. He was a great man in the sight of his master, who was the king, and highly regarded because through him, the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier. He probably had eczema. It was just something that was there, uh, but not anything to disqualify him or nothing that was contagious. He had a skin disease. It says, now bands from Aram had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel. So they had these groups of little warriors that'd go out and they'd steal people. Um, and, and they went to Israel, they stole this young girl in their raids and they brought her back and she served Naaman's wife. And she said to her mistress, if only my master would see the prophet who was in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. A Naaman went to his master and he told him what the girl from Israel had said. By all means, go, the king of Aram replied. I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, taking with him 10 talents of silver and 6,000 shekels of gold and 10 sets of clothing. It's 750 pounds of silver, 150 pounds of gold. How many of y'all would be okay with that showing up at your doorstep from Amazon? Amen. Like, yeah, yeah, you'd be good, right? And uh, yeah, free shipping. Probably not with that much gold. That's a lot of weight. The letter that he took to the king of Israel read, With this letter I am sending my servant Naaman to you so that you may cure him of his leprosy. Now, do we see a little... Difference here it was, first of all, there's a prophet who can hear. Now, all of a sudden, it's the king, uh, and we'll talk about his reaction to this. And as soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robes, which is like this huge sign of distraught. He tears his robes, and he said, Am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of his leprosy? See how he is trying to pick a fight with me, pick a quarrel. And then Elisha, the man of God, heard what the king of Israel had done. He tore his robes. He sent him this message. Why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me, and he will know there's a prophet in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots, and he stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to him to say, Go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River, and your flesh will be restored, and you will be cleansed. But Naaman, good man, good heart, went away angry, and he said, I thought that he would surely come out to me, stand and call in the name of the Lord his God, wave his hand over my spot and cure my leprosy. Are not the Abana and the far part of the rivers of Damascus better than any in the waters of Israel? Couldn't I just wash them and be cleansed? And he turned and he went off in a rage. Naaman's servants went to him and said, 
My father, if the prophet would have told you to do some great thing, wouldn't you have done it? How much more when he just says, go wash it in the river and be cleansed? So he went down and he dipped himself in the Jordan River seven times. And as the man of God had told him, and his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. Okay, great, great story with a lot of different miscommunications in it. And I want to just dissect it a little bit. Something that we can learn from. Again, Naaman was a great man who got caught up in the emotion of the moment. And that is something that every single one of us can relate to. How many of y'all got caught up in the emotion of a moment? It might have happened this morning on the way to church. And, and you're thinking of all these zingers you're going to give them on the way home. And I hope that I will prevent that from happening. Because anytime you say, well, I should have said this, you probably shouldn't have. Amen. Right? That's just the truth of it. So verse 1, we see that he's a commander, that he's risen in the ranks because of his character and battle skills and people skills. He was a likable guy, and he likely, again, had eczema. Now, he had captured the servant girl, and she's not named, but she's very insignificant um, in the world, but huge in this story. She doesn't even have a name. They're just like a servant girl that was captured. I want to talk about her for just for a moment. She was captured in a place that she didn't want to be, and yet she was a blessing to him with a solution to this problem. I want you to think about her character. How easy would it for her to have had this attitude, serves him right, I hope he suffers. <laughs> like he came and he stole me from my home, probably robbed me of marriage, probably robbed me from a lot of things. I hope this leprosy turns into real leprosy and his arms fall off. <laughs> I mean, that's what we would be like, right? Like I would be like calling, I, I'm gonna tell him the solution. I hope, I hope you die. I hope, I, hope you, I hope it just goes crazy all over you. I hope it grows. I hope your nose falls off, Naaman. Some of us have that attitude to people that have taken us captive with something. But in this story, this servant girl, the lowest of the low, likes this guy. Somehow he has treated her with honor and respect. And she says to his wife, there is a man where you stole me from in Israel, where I was taken captive against my will. That's not what she says. She says, there's a, there's a, there's a man in Israel who can fix this problem. In her captivity, in her situation, she chose to be a blessing to the man that she served. How are we doing in that area? Are you in a situation, are you in an area, you have something going on in your life that you would rather not be in, maybe it wasn't even your choice. And so what is your attitude in this area? So in her captivity, she offers up a solution to her master to be free of something. That's a pretty incredible attitude to have. She definitely did not play the role of a victim. In her situation, though it wasn't what she wanted, she still chose to honor God in how she treated people and the, the solution that she offered. Now, that's a pretty good character, right? She doesn't even have a name. We're going to meet her in heaven, and it'll be like, you know, 15,000 years go by, and you'll be like, oh, you were the girl, right? She's going to go around telling you where the good fishing spots are, where the good food is, like this fruit tree is amazing. And we're going to be like, you're the servant girl that was, you know, right? Probably like that. It seemed insignificant, but her character was very significant, did not play the role of a victim. How are you doing in that area? In verses four through six, she says, if you go to this man, you will be cured. The solution to the problem required action. What I have found in life, there's a lot of people willing to give up solutions. I mean, it's, it's, and in the form of opinion, you should do this. It's really easy to see a problem. It's a little harder to be a part of the solution to the problem. Because some people think their spiritual gift is just pointing out stuff that's wrong. That's their gift. That's my gift. No, I'm not a part of it. I just point out what's wrong. I'm not a part of the solution. That's not what God wants from us. The solution to the problem required action. 
And it's important to remember the, role, the roles here. This is a slave girl talking to the highest general in the army. This is a slave girl who had to say, you know what, I'm just, let me, let me say it this way. There's a janitor in a big giant corporation and the CEO of the corporation walks through the hall and the janitor says, hey, hey boss, I got an idea. And the boss says, man, tell me what it is. He's like, we should do this. It'll help the company. And the boss goes, man, that's a great idea. We're going to implement that tomorrow. That's, what, that's what's going on here, right? It, the janitor is willing to talk to the boss. The boss is willing to listen to the janitor. And I will tell you this, you always be willing to listen to someone that's lower rank than you. Because you will learn something from anybody. And it's important to obey those that are above you. But that's the situation here. The servant girl, and he's willing to listen to the servant girl. He could have said, what do you know? But his heart was, hey, if there's a solution to my problem, I want this. And most of us don't like to be told what to do or take direction, do we? Nope. See, only three, only three of you answered out of, a, I don't know, 150 people. So that tells me... That 97% of you have an attitude with authority because you would not answer your pastor when he asks you a question. <laughs> Therefore, you only get half a hot dog unless you begin to amen a little better. Matter of fact, I'm gonna encourage you afterwards to get a giant Dodger dog. Amen. Yeah, some of y'all get that, all right? Just a bit of a rivalry there. He, he's willing to take direction, and I love that. But here's what I've learned about mature people. Mature people are open to correction or ideas because it's not a threat. Yeah. This guy didn't say, well, you're a servant. What do you, what, what do you know? What do you know? Yeah. Unmet expectations. He had these expectations, okay? So here's what he does. He goes to the king. He said, hey, king, I, my, my servant girl told me this. Can I go? And the king's like, absolutely, absolutely. There's these expectations of I could get healed. And the king's like, yeah, man, you've been valiant. Um, matter of fact, you're even going, this is what's strange. You're even going to enemy territory, which I don't get this. I need to study that part because Aram and Israel did not get along. And here he is sending his commander to go get this healing. So this is like a weird relationship going on here um, because they're, you know, they're stealing people from each other and enslaving them. But maybe the kings are like, ah, that's cool. That's just how the kingdoms are run. I, I don't know, but it's a strange thing. So he sends them into enemy territory. And uh, he loads up all this gold, the silver, 10, 10 sets of clothing with a sense of humility of I could get something that I'm looking for. And what I know about the, the clothing and the gold and the silver was he's not trying to buy a miracle. I believe what he's doing is he's not expecting something for nothing. He's not expecting to get a free ride here. He's not expecting to, you know, just to, to get along. He's going to bring a gift to say, I don't, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm high ranking, but I'm not expecting you to do something for me for nothing. Unlike a lot of our world today. <laughs> do I even go there? Yes, I will go there, right? Because our world, I keep seeing it on the news. I don't watch a ton of news. When I see it, it's, you know, no more evictions. And I'm like, have you thought about the property owner? Yeah. I mean, somebody owns that building that you want to live in for free. I mean, we all want to live in a free house, right? Yeah. <laughs> but, but you got to think about the person that, that invested into the apartment or the house that you want to live free in. It's, a, it's messed up and it'll mess the country up. Yeah. If I didn't see so many help wanted signs... I might have a little more compassion. <laughs> so, so, you know, free rent, just don't expect that, all right? And we're kind of building this thing, this expectations. Well, somebody's going to lose it. It's going to be the person that invested into that. But Naaman has this character. He's not expecting something for nothing. He's not living entitled, okay? You can't buy a healing. He's just doing what he thinks is right. Again, it's a reflection of his heart. He's just a generous guy. He's a good man. That's what makes the story all that much crazy. Now, the king of Israel in verse 7, I love this. The king of Israel misreads, his name's Ben-Hadad. He, he sees this letter, and he looks at it, and he's like, 
what? This guy's coming to me to get healed? And he totally misreads what's really happening. He's like, is he trying to pick a fight with me? And the honest answer is no, that's not what's happening at all. And, and I know this never happens in your marriage relationships. I know there's never miscommunication. I know there's never assumptions as to what he really meant or what her eyes were really saying. Ladies, we know what your eyes are saying. We do. We don't always know exactly what they're saying, but they know the intent. Like the fire, and they're like, uh, I'll go outside for a while. We all, we all know you can say a lot by not saying nothing. Especially when we ask you what's wrong and you say nothing. Yeah. When you ask your husband what's wrong, he says nothing. He means it. <laughs> nothing. Don't try to read into it. Oh, there must be something. No, it's nothing. I, I, everything's cool. I just don't feel like talking to you right now. I'm just fine. Right? It's just the way it is. But if a woman says nothing, then we know that there's trouble. Right? He misreads what's happening here. He's like, you're trying to pick a fight with me? And let me ask you this. How often do we misread motives? Like, like what you heard isn't what I said. Like, I, I said what I said, and I know what I meant, but you heard it totally different than me. Okay. Uh, and and we, what we see can set these expectations of what we think we see. And I know this. Some people live like everyone's out to get them. Some people have that attitude. Or in our marriage, we expect something from our spouse they can't give us. Okay. If you've been here very long, my wife and I have pastored the church to be 24 years on um, November 2nd. And, and so some of you have heard a lot of our stories, but we keep making new ones. Okay, like, like, okay, how can we fight? What can we fight about this week so we can tell the church that we actually fight? Um, we plan these fights. And, and so before we got married, though, Chris had these, these 20, a uh, list of 20 things. So she's listening now. That's why I got to be very careful what I say second service. First service, there's no recording. I can say whatever the heck I want. First, second service, I have to be more careful. Um, and so this, she had this list of 20 things. Now, I didn't know about this list until after the wedding. And she didn't tape it up to the fridge and say, this is where you're failing, okay? Um, no, she had a list of 20 things, and I don't remember all what they were. But I know that I, according to her, I, I met 19 of the 20 criteria for a husband. Yeah, 19 for 20. You know the one that I didn't get? Six foot tall. She wanted a six foot tall husband. So I'm going to lie to you right now, okay? I'm going to tell you a story. Here, here, here's a lie. So every morning since our, our wedding... She, she, she feeds me this food that she reads online that says, will actually grow your husband. Like she fixes my food and she's like, this is going to make him grow another inch and, and it's guaranteed growth. And, and so she watches my diet and feeds me the right things. And then she wants me to do these stretches with her, like stretch, you know, like tie ropes and stuff and stretch. And, and then, and then she, she just, she measured my body every day. And, and for 29 years, she hasn't seen any growth that way, she's seen me get a little shorter. And, and yet she has these expectations that someday if she does the right things and if she picks on me enough and tells me you need to eat this, you need to do this, or you need to grow or else, or you need, I'm going to feed you till you grow. And every morning she gets up and she measures my body and I'm not any taller. Wouldn't you say that was a ridiculous thing to do? Like she's doing all these things to try to change something in me that is impossible to change. Because of expectations. Well, I want a six-footer, and you're not it. And, and, and guess what, guys? It's a ludicrous kind of story, but it makes sense. Is that we try to force people to change areas that they can't change in. Now, she has asked me to change 
My sarcasm? I said, ain't possible, baby. I'm gonna be sarcastic to the day I die. And I said, you can't, you can't change personality. She goes, well, you can, you can change it a little bit. And I'm like, yeah, but I don't want to. Like, I'm, sarcasm is my thing, right? And she's like, well, it's not funny. And I said, well, people at church think it's funny. It's a true conversation. And she's like, but it's not. She's like, it might be funny at church, but it ain't funny at home. And I'm like, well, at least it's funny at church. Like, that's why I come to church all the time, right? It's, it's like, it's more funny at church. And here's the, here's, the, here's the truth of it. When you have to live with somebody's sarcasm all the time, it is different than just hearing it once or twice a week, right? So she is right. And I have, that was one thing. I'm like, yeah, I got to be less sarcastic. And I try to say, if I'm grinning, I really don't mean it. Like if I'm grinning, because I grin a lot. Like I'm just joking if I'm grinning and sometimes that don't work. It's like, it's still sarcastic, it can still be hurtful. So that's an area that I can grow in. So I can't, I can wear some lifts and some, some heels. Amber, I could put heels on, but I ain't gonna, but I could. And I could be, you know, five foot eight with four inch heels. Uh, but that ain't gonna happen, right? And, and so I, I could change some things, but I'm never gonna be six foot. And I'm glad that she does not wake up in the morning with these expectations for me to be something I can't be and base her happiness and joy in our marriage based on that. And yet we do this in some areas. Should we expect growth in our spouse? Absolutely. I'm not saying we should have no, ex we should have expectations. We should do our best to try to be the spouse that our, our spouse still wants to be married to. But there are certain things that just are not going to change. Personality is one of those. It's just a person, I mean, people have, I, and I told her, I said, you know, she's very creative. If you don't know her, she's a very creative person. Um, excellent photographer. Um, and by the way, Amber, thank you for all the pictures you take. If you see all these pictures, that's Amber. Um, I am amazed at how good looking I am as a result of her photo editing. Uh, I'm like, that's not even me, but man, he looks good. Uh, so thank you for that. It's, 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 it means a lot. I don't get a chance to say you that, but uh, all the great pictures you see on our website and stuff, Amber's taking those in. But my wife's very creative. And I told her, I said, you know, I, I'm sarcastic by nature. It's just me. I said, and, and that's probably not going to change. Can it be tempered? Yeah. I said, but I can't tell you quit being creative. I said, when you walk into a room, my wife knows how to make it look better. Like she can go add this and this and this color and this color. That is just her. I, I can't change that. I can't just go, quit being so creative. Go being so bland. Just be bland, right? Just be bland. I can't be because that's the way that God made her. So what I'm trying to say is I'm trying to make a really good excuse to say God made me sarcastic and just let me be that way, right? Yeah, but I know that I got to temper that thing. There's his robes. And I found something that I've never seen before. I mean, I've read the story a ton of times in my life. It's something I felt the Holy Spirit showed me this week that I never saw. And he tears his robes, which is again, a sign of anguish and frustration. And these are not robes that he picked up at TJ Maxx because they didn't fit somebody else. Okay. These are homemade, handcrafted robes that fit him perfectly, probably cost a whole lot of money. And, and here's what he does. He is now in assume mode. And Scott, here's what, I never saw this before until this week. He destroys something valuable over a wrong assumption and becomes the king of assumption, or I'm sorry, the king of overreaction. And I was like, man, I've never seen that just tears him up over something that could have been cleared up if he would have looked at the letter and go, boy, that's interesting. Hey, can you get name and have him come in and explain this to me? But what the king did is something that we all do and we react before we think. We react before we know all of the information. And he destroyed something valuable. And some of y'all, you're destroying what could be a great marriage because you assume too much.
or you overreact too much and you're destroying something that, that God says, this is valuable. So quit doing that, quit, quit tearing. Okay, sit down and have some communication. My wife and I had a, a miscommunication last night. She's in Florida and I, I heard different than what she said and how she said it. Um, and so this morning I had to call her on the way. I said, yeah, I just gotta get this cleared up. Okay, before I go preach, I, I just, this is cleared up. I just, I've misunderstood what you were saying. I assumed something else. So it's really funny to me how I'm preaching on the very things that I'm guilty of doing. <laughs> like somebody come up and slap me now. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Yeah, I know, I like all these guys. Yeah, <laughs> I'll volunteer. Uh, and, and it's, it's amazing, but here's the good news is hopefully I'm mature enough to go, you know what, I caused a rift by misunderstanding something. And it wasn't, she was wrong, I was right, I was wrong. She was right, it was, it was just both and. We, it was just a miscommunication. And so I called her on the way to church. I just said, hey, just, just, just talk it out. You know, we just, I, I misunderstood you or whatever. And everything's great. Everything's great. Because that's what maturity tries to do. Maturity tries to, you know, uh, I gotta show you something. So last night, I almost put the sign up out in the, uh, out in the yard. And it says this. Now, some of y'all are gonna see the different things. What's it say? Lunch, yeah, it says taco, that's exactly right. And I, I, almost, I almost put this out, and the thing was, you drove up. And then I thought, wait a second, what am I preaching on? Because if I put, yeah, if I put this sign up, what are y'all gonna think you're gonna get? You're gonna get carne asada tacos, and now all of a sudden the hot dog don't sound too good because I just put this in your mind. Some of you are gonna drive off this thing, and go, I'm not having a sausage because I want tacos now. Like, I just, I just want tacos. Well, tacos is closed today, so you're going to have to have a hot dog. Uh, so part of it's right, lunch on us, but it's not this. And a lot of times in our marriages, we expect this, and all you get is a hot dog. You're just like, well, but I, but I want carne asada hot dogs with lime and stuff. Right? We just have this idea of what it should be like, and that's, that's what Ben had's doing. He's just totally assuming something that isn't correct, Okay? It's not correct. How often do we do this? So instead of fact-finding or talking things out with a person directly to clear it up before gossiping about it, we determine, because Naaman already heard. King ripped his robes. They're like, oh, shoot. That's bad. That's bad. King ripped his robes. Word has already gone. It wasn't on Facebook. <laughs> okay. They didn't see it. Electron go, oh, whoa. Okay. The no notification. King's ticked off. Rips his robes. Um, stay away. No, this is word of mouth. So gossip has already started as to what's happening. And uh, Benedict could have investigated the letter before reacting to what he thought was going on to say, am I understanding this correctly? You are here because you think I can heal you of your leprosy. And I think Naaman would get, no, I heard my servant girl said there was a prophet somewhere that could. So the king of Aram sends a letter to this king saying, hey, you're going to heal this guy. So we already, it's like this game of telephone. And life can be like this, Okay. So my challenge here is don't go to war before you go to the person you have a problem with. And that's, that's what the king did. Why? This is hitting home because it's all natural. Some people spread offense like butter on hot toast. And once you spread it, you can't get it back. Okay. So be careful before you do this. Okay. I'm guilty of this. I, I got to learn, get to try to do what I'm preaching to listen up and go, okay, that's one side of the story. I've done enough marriage counseling in 30 years to know there's always the other side. Right? Like I've had people call me up and be like, my husband's doing this. I'm like, well, I'm just ready to tear him apart. And then we get into the session and he starts telling me, I'm like, oh, well, you didn't tell me that lady. <laughs> now I'm on his side, right? It was like, ah. it, it, yeah, lady. Well, I didn't want to say woman because I said that for a service. Um, it sounded a little more, 
Woman, right? Santa Moore Southern. That's that, all right? Yeah, because I, I just don't want the hackles to get out. I don't want ladies to even assume that I have this bad attitude toward ladies. Okay? Shall we move on? Thank you. Wow, that was a good yes. That was fast yes. All right? So here's what I have found is most of the time you'll find that they don't have evil motives. The people you have a problem with, sometimes they do, but not always. Most of the time, they don't have these evil motives. But you spread your offense, it's like yeast that infects the whole loaf of bread, and it's really hard to recover that. So Elisha, he plays peacemaker here, okay? And he, he gives direction. And here's where the story gets a little bit crazy, okay? So verse 9, it says, So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. I want you to picture this. Naaman's got his whole entourage. He's got almost a thousand pounds of silver and gold and clothing. So this isn't just one little chariot with the, with the commander and his little servant. This is like an entourage. This is like a red carpet, you know, in Hollywood where the whole entourage shows up and they got their big guys. And, and this is a big deal. There's dust everywhere. Okay. And then the dust is settling down. There's Naaman in his chariot and he has, <laughs> he's expecting tacos. <laughs> And it's not what he's going to get, okay? He, he has this idea of what he wants to happen. And as we read earlier, he doesn't get what he thinks he should have got. And he has this emotional breakdown, okay? Great guy. Don't forget this. He's a great man. He's good money. He's well-loved, well-liked by the king from servants. Everybody likes this guy. He just gets caught up in this emotional moment and he reacts emotionally because they are not going to happen the way that he thought. My assumption is he was watching too much Hallmark Channel and had this idea of how things were going to turn out. Now, ladies, just so you know, Thanksgiving's coming, Christmas is coming, Hallmark's going to be around. So I know you ladies, you love suspenseful and unpredictable shows and that's why you prescribe to Hallmark. Because you never know how it's going to end. So I want you to picture this scene. Horses, chariots, large entourage, gold, silver, clothes, big deal. He's probably used to a very warm welcome. In verse 10, Naaman does something that he doesn't expect this to happen. And Elisha, he, he's in the house probably watching Hallmark and he's in the suspense of many. And he just goes to his servant Gehazi. He says, hey Gehazi, there's a guy out there. He's wanting the healing. Can you just go tell him the go dip in the river seven times and he'll be fine. Gehazi was like, yes, sir. Goes out, comes out and Naaman probably looking at it. He's like, that's a prophet? Gehazi, just a little guy. It, 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 you, are you the prophet? No, I'm just a servant. Prophet's busy. He wants you to go wash in the river seven times. And let me tell you something about, I think what the moment, Elisha, when you have a man of God like Elisha, who has spent time with the creator of the world, he spent time with a man named Elijah, whom he saw get up into heaven in a chariot of fire. When he saw the fire from called down from heaven, when he saw the miracles, Elisha ain't impressed with a human. He's not impressed. Most people be like, oh, commander of the army. And he's like, I know the God of the universe. You ain't nothing. You ain't nothing. So he's just staying in the house. Just, just go tell him what to do. And Naaman, <laughs> Naaman loses it. Good man. Good man, but he has these expectations of what he thought was going to happen. In verse 11, it shows that, okay? You see, you have a problem. Here's your answer. Naaman loses it. He says, Naaman went away angry. He just, 
fire burns, wheels just takes off. He's mad. And he says this. He went away angry. He goes, I thought, I thought, I thoughts will get you in trouble. I, I thought that he would surely come out. I wasn't expecting his servant. I was expecting this prophet. I, I thought he would come out to me, that he would stand there, he'd call on the name of the Lord his God, that he would wave his hand. If y'all watch Star Wars, you know, you know what that means. It's a Jedi trick. He would wave his hand. Now y'all know why you drive away from the church every Sunday going, man, that guy's really smart. It's because I do the Jedi mind trick on you. You don't even see it. I've done it for so many years. I'm just kind of doing a little like this. Some of you are like Watto. You're like, that doesn't work on me. Uh, if you've ever seen the show. <laughs> yeah, you're only money. Yeah, it's good. He just does a little mind trick. And that's what Naaman thinks here. So there is biblical stuff out in Star Wars, just so you know. All right. He, he thought, I, I thought you would wave his hand over my spot and it would be healed. I mean, he had this idea of what was supposed to happen and how it was supposed to happen. And when it didn't, he, he gets angry. Now, it says here, I thought he would cure me in my leprosy. He was like, the end result is the same. It's just how it was going to happen is what he had a problem with. Now, guys, does it matter how you get there as long as you get there? It doesn't matter. Heaven is our home. That's one reason I get up in the morning is heaven is my home. The only way to heaven is through Jesus Christ. That is the only way. And if you have never given your life to Jesus, if you've never asked God to forgive you of your sins, the Bible says that hell is the destination. There is no getting to heaven without Jesus. So if you've never made that decision, today would be a great day to make that decision to follow Christ, right? Not join a church, not join a religion, to give your life to Jesus Christ. That is the only way. Okay, I have the expectation not when I die that I'm going to go to heaven, but it's not because of all the good stuff I did, Dustin. It's, it's because of what Jesus did for me. Because I know I'm a low-down, dirty, rotten sinner. Okay? That, that's what I am. That's where my heart's at. But Jesus saw something in me, and he forgave me when I asked him to. And he forgives you when you ask. You have to ask. And he forgives you right there, then on the spot. So Naaman's got, he's tripped out right now. He, he's, again, is he a good man? Yeah. Is he a great man? Yeah. Is he a great leader? Yeah. He's a good man. We got to get that because sometimes we think somebody gets caught up in this emotional moment. They make this, ah, and we're like, oh, they're a bad person. That's not the truth. We're, we're married to good people that sometimes get tripped up emotionally. Yeah. And some of you are like, sometimes it's often in my home. Um, <laughs> and what did he do? He, he, he's like, my rivers are better than the Jordan River. Aren't the rivers in, in Damascus better than the Jordan? The Jordan is known to be kind of a dirty river. Let me tell you something, guys. It wasn't the river that cleansed him. It was the God who made the river that cleansed him, okay? And, and he just goes off and says, and he turned around, and he went off in a rage. I mean, here you got, he's angry. Now he's in a rage. And here's a guy that's, that's we'll see he's approachable. Like the servant approaches, okay, his other servants will approach him. He's an approachable dude, but he is so caught up in his emotion because of his unmet expectations that he can't even see clearly right now. And he's about to lose the very thing that he went to get, how does this play out in our life that we can lose the very thing that we're looking for because we have these emotional moments and we trip out, okay? And so he just, like, just goes off in this rage. He loses it. He was so convinced that he knew how it was going to go down that when it didn't happen the way he thought, he flips out. Sounds like us sometimes, right? So we have our ideas about how others should act or how God should do things. The question is, is how do you respond when they don't? 
How do you respond when they don't? He reacted out of unmet expectations. How often are we guilty of this and we can ruin an evening or a date on something stupid? You ever ruined a date on something dumb? Okay. Yeah. Ooh, I, 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 I did this a couple of years ago. My wife and I were going to Texas Roadhouse and, um, and we're driving down Meridian Road and I think somebody must have cut me off and she's like, you got road rage. I don't have road rage. She thinks I have road rage. I don't have road rage. I have road annoyance. Okay? And when you drive that road at 5 a.m., there ain't nobody on the road. It's fine. It's peaceful. It's the people that are the problems, not me. Because so hear me out. When I drive by myself, there's no rage. It's when the people are added at 7 a.m. That's the problem. Some of y'all have to, I drive, I drive from four miles that way. I drive like the back roads. And even then sometimes traffic's bad, but that's our country, but a group in a town of 500 people and like 16 cars, all right? But some of you are like, this ain't nothing. This ain't traffic. You ain't seen nothing, boy. You've seen traffic in LA. So when I'm driving the road by myself, there's never a road rage problem. It's when you add people to it that it becomes the issue. So people are the problem. That's proof. Like two plus two equals five, right? So. I'm just seeing if you're all listening. I'm going to lose you. And, and so we're going on a date, and, and she's like, you got road rage? I don't have road rage. Yeah, you do. And we start going at it. And we're teaching the married life group. Come on, right? And, and, and we're driving. And by the time we get to, to Overland, I'm ready to turn around. I'm like, forget dinner, man. I'll go eat my own food. Because this ain't going to be any fun. And, and I went, wait a second. Because I teach this, the most mature person is the one that apologizes first. And so we, I'm looking at him going, and we're at a stoplight. Sometimes stoplights are blessings because you have to think about it. Like you're a stoplight. And I'm like, I looked at her. She looked at me with a love in her eyes and sarcasm in my heart. And I said, what are we doing? Like, like what, what are we doing? This is stupid. What are we fighting about? Like, I don't have rage. I have annoyance. Yeah, I get annoyed at drivers. Are we going to ruin, like, this night over this? And so she's like, yeah, no, we're not. And so we made out for a few minutes at the stoplight, and uh, everything was cool. <laughs> People were honking. I thought they were cheering me on, like my kissing skills. And, you know, but, but we had to, to address that because I, and I take responsibility because of my reaction, I could have just laughed and said, yep, I got rage. <laughs> I got rage. I was like, no, I don't, because you get defensive usually when somebody calls you on your stuff. Yeah. And, and, it, it, and it didn't ruin the evening, but we had to stop it and address it and go, okay, well, are we going to blow our whole evening up, like mad over something dumb? And it's like, no, we need to learn how to move on. Well, that's kind of the situation here. Naaman is about to lose something that he's pursuing because of a misunderstanding and an anger. And we can do this in our relationships very, very often. Sometimes we do it with God. It's like, God, I'll serve you as long as you do what I want. I've seen this happen over and over again. People will come to church and they'll be faithful. They're in the midst of this big thing. And, and, and it's like they come and they come and they don't see the miracle they want. Most of the time it's like a spouse to come back or see things their way. And, and they usually drop off. I, I've seen it. 30 years of doing something you kind of just know. But what I am proud of is the people that they didn't get what they wanted, but they're still faithful and they're still serving God. It was like, God, I prayed for the miracle and I didn't get the way, it didn't turn out the way I wanted, but I'm still gonna serve you, I'm still gonna love you, regardless if you let them come home or if my kid comes back or whatever happens, I'm still gonna serve you, even if I don't get what I want, okay? So Naaman, again, good man, good heart, 
just unrealistic expectations of a moment. Now, as a military commander, you would think, okay, because he was used to giving orders and having them obeyed, you would have thought that he would have, okay, that's an order, go dip in the river and I'll be healed. But what tripped him up was the unmet expectations. And we have to ask this question, how often does this happen in our relationships? It seems to happen, especially to those that are closest to us. Ladies, I will tell you this, men of Hallmark, I call them Moes, M-O-H, men of Hallmark, they rarely exist. You know how often those guys have to practice their lines to be the perfect romantic guy? You may have to days they have to go without shaving their face to look scruffy and attractive, you know? They're going off a script. Men, I will tell you, pornography will ruin you. It will ruin the relationship. It will ruin your sex life, okay? Because those women rarely exist, okay? It's based on a fantasy, and fantasy is, never, is always better than reality because there's no consequences in a fantasy. But in life, the fantasy is never better than reality. Let me tell you something. There is nothing better than a man and a woman who God has blessed them in their intimate life. Nothing better. Okay, the, the devil can never improve on something that God invented. Right. I promise you that. Do it God's way. And, and, and parents, you know, okay, whether you did or didn't, I will challenge your students, your kids, to wait until they get married to have sex. I will tell them that. Why? Because the world's saying, here, use a condom. I'm saying use abstinence. And you will hear that from your pastor, okay? Because that's what I believe in. Again, whether you did or didn't, we all know it's the right way. God's way is always the right way. There's grace and there's forgiveness, but we want to get our kids off on the right start. And they need to hear the truth that you can abstain because our world says, no, you can't. No, you're not an animal. You're not an animal. You can't abstain. Then we need to teach them that, okay? That wasn't in my notes. That was off script, all right? Free of charge. So he goes off. He goes off in this rage. He's just, he's just, ah. So if we take our cues off actors and actresses, we will get it totally wrong in our relationships because we're building expectations that will not be met, which leads to frustration. Our tendency, at least for me, is to expect perfection out of others, yet expect grace when we're not perfect. Like we have this thing, well, I, you know, I, well, it's okay for you, but for me, okay, I, I'm going to just use grace, but we need to be graceful toward others. So he goes off in a rage. To the dismay of his staff, unfortunately, he has servants who are willing to lovingly confront him on his behavior. They saw the situation from a different angle. And again, it, talks, it, it refers to his character that he was actually approachable. Because let me tell you something, Naaman had the power just to chop your head off if you disagreed with him. He's the commander of the army, do what he wants. Some servant comes up and goes, hey, chief, I was just thinking. <laughs> All the other servants would be like, dude, don't even give the chief suggestions. Okay, just don't say nothing. But, but again, Naaman's character comes into play here, though not seen, but we can see it by his servants. And his servants, they went out to him and they said, I love this because he's approachable, he's coachable. My father, they're like, if the prophet would have told you to do some great thing, like if the prophet would have said, hey, grab your bow and arrow because you're a warrior and here's a target. And if you hit the target, then you're going to receive your healing. Wouldn't you have done it? I mean, wouldn't the prophet say, man, if you could hit that target right there, man. And I think Naaman went, he told you, he would have done it. But he, if they'd have told you to do a great thing, would you have done it? Yeah, you know you would have. But all he's asking you to do is just go dip in the river seven times. Don't you think you should, sir? Naaman's not reaching for a sword. I love this because we all need people like this in our life that, see our life from a different angle. Amen. Somebody that will challenge us, somebody that will lovingly confront us, not out of you know, judgment, but out of care. And here's what I know is these servants wanted 
Naaman to be healed of what was getting him. They wanted him free of it. They, they wanted him to have relief from the itching and whatever it is that probably kept him up at night. They wanted the best for their commander and they were willing to approach him. I think they were saying this in essence, you're about to miss all on the very thing you're looking for because your expectations of the how didn't happen. And you're about to miss out on We don't want to see that happen to you. And how often, again, do we do this? And how foolish does it sound that we get so focused on the how that we forget about the what? We want a happy marriage. Well, how are we going to get there? Okay, the what is happy marriage. Well, the how is the work. The how is the grace. The how is, is you know, learning how to speak their love language. So he listens. I love this. He listens and he does it. And he gets the very thing he was looking for, but he almost missed it. But I love Naaman. Again, great man, good heart, emotional a little bit, but willing to be coached, willing to be told, here's what we think you should do. And he actually listened to them because he very accused He said, shut up your servant, get out of my, okay, we're going home. But he didn't. He was willing to accept the coaching. And I love that. So just some, don't misunderstand me here, okay? You have to have certain expectations. You need expectations of your spouse. You need, them, you need them to be faithful. You expect that, right? You need them to be faithful. You expect your kids to obey. You expect your employees to do their job. You expect that. You also have expectations. If you do your job, that you're going to get a paycheck. When you go to Burger King, you have to have expectations that it's not going to be a taco. <laughs> There's the tacos again, all right? Um, all right, you expect things, but high expectations are too high expectations. I call unmet expectations because they're unrealistic expectations. You will ruin a relationship with that. What is an unrealistic expectation? And it's something that we all deal with most of the time. So I want to close with, with some questions. So questions we need to deal with as a result of what we learned today. Number one, am I expecting too much from others? I would say in certain situations, yes, we probably are. Okay, other, other situations, no, we, we need to have expectations, right? But I'm talking about the negative things. Are we, am I expecting too much from others? So evaluate your expectations. Are they too high in some areas? Some areas you need to lower your expectations because you know things are just not going to change. Again, my wife doesn't get up every morning and go, just, Lord, help me be six foot. Help me be, you, know, you know what would be terrible about being six foot? Brian, I'd have to buy all new clothes. <laughs> and I got better things to spend my money on than new clothes, Okay. I'd have to change all kinds of things. I just, I'm fine. I get a new body when I get to heaven, I'll be fine. I've always joked that I was going to be 6'2 when I get to heaven. And, and I'll get to heaven and I'll be 6'2 and y'all will be like eight foot. <laughs> and God's like, oh, eight foot's the standard up here, but you, have, you got what you asked for. <laughs> and I'll be short for eternity. I'll be look up to everybody. Um, I'll be by the same height, I don't know. But it's going to be good, whatever. So am I expecting too much from others? Number two, am I dealing with my own disappointment properly? This is something I have to deal with um, fairly often. It's like, okay, I'm disappointed, but why? Sometimes it's legit. Yeah, it didn't turn out the way that I thought and, or the way that was promised. It didn't, it didn't happen this way. Okay, is it legit or, is, or did I just have the expectations too high? Did I expect God to do what I wanted? Or did I pray for God to do what I wanted but allow him to be God and allow what he did allow for a reason? Let's see, it didn't turn out the way I thought, but God, you have better plans than me, bigger plans. Okay, do I blame others for my moods because they didn't do what I wanted to do? Okay, or I wanted them to do. Um, again, it's baseball. You know, we have, a, we have our teams, and when our team gets up to bat, what are these expectations? Like, we have a hitter that gets up, and what are we expecting? 
We're expecting it like base hit or a home run. Like we have these, like this is what, and, and when they strike out, okay, we're disappointed. But when my pitcher's pitching to your team, I'm not expecting a home run. Well, actually, sometimes I am. I'm like, no, please don't hit one. Uh, I, I'm expecting my pitcher to strike your guy out. But I will tell you this. If I let it ruin my night because a batter strikes out in a big moment that could have won the game, I will tell you this. That athlete does not go back to their hotel and go, you know, I know Stan Johnson in CUNA, Idaho is really disappointed that I struck out and ruined the game. I probably ruined his night too. I'll try better tomorrow. That's not what happens, right? The athlete doesn't, he thinks about his own, like, okay, what did I do wrong? And, and I can allow somebody else's behavior get me or somebody else's mistake get me and it shouldn't be that way. Is it? Yeah, it is. But it shouldn't be. It's something that we have to work on. Now, let me, let me turn that around. Aren't you glad that God doesn't look down from heaven and go, ah, oh, struck out again. Ah, oh, struck out again. That God's like, yeah, he's gonna strike out. I have an expectation that Jesus watches. He strikes out all the time. Oh, oh, I saw that. Didn't see that coming. No, <laughs> Cody Bellinger. <laughs> you're, you're calling people. At least it's your own team. All right. And, and are you glad that God doesn't look at where we disappoint him? He looks at the fact that we're trying to serve him. That's, that's our God. He doesn't just pick on all the things that we do wrong. He knows about them. But God's just proud of you for trying. God's proud of you for getting back into the batter's box and not giving up and not quitting the team and say, you know, God, I, I got some issues, but Lord, thank you for your patience as I work on these things. That's what God's looking at. So maybe, some of you feel that all God does is pick on you because that's what your earthly dad did. That is not what the heavenly father does. Amen. The heavenly father does not just look at you and go, oh, you're just by big disappointment because you're always failing. No, God looks at you with totally different eyes and say, you are a son or a daughter worth dying for. Amen. And I see greatness in you, but you got to see it in yourself. The greatness in ourself is Jesus Christ. It's not our own works. And I'm so glad because I can't earn it. I don't want to die hoping that I did enough good things. <laughs> I can just imagine getting to heaven and having that tally sheet and being like, he did good, but did that one sermon, and that was like a minus 10 points on the heaven scale. So sorry, Stan, you've got to go the other direction. I'm glad that it's not performance related. It's all what Jesus did for us on the cross. Now, once we get saved, God has expectations of us. What do you think the word of God is? Like if God says, you know, if John 3.16 was the only verse in the entire Bible, it was, hey, accept my son, you're saved, just live how you want and I'll see you in heaven. No, the whole Bible is like expectations, okay? This is, what, this is how we need to live. Again, we're not earning heaven, we can't. But it's how can I be a better Christian, all right? It's just like marriage, all right? You, you get married, it's done. The ring's there, now let's work on the relationship. Now work on being kinder, work on being less sarcastic, okay? Work on being more patient. You understand what I'm saying? Okay. All right. Last one. What expectations are realistic and which ones, uh, which, are, which ones are healthy? Okay. What expect expectations are realistic? And again, only you can answer this. Which ones are healthy? And I added to it, which ones aren't? You have to decide that for yourself. What expectations that I have that, boy, they're just, they haven't been met for a long time. They're probably not going to happen. Maybe I just need to change my approach. Certain expectations are healthy and right. We just need to have them prioritized. Okay, love language should be spoken. If you're married, you should try to speak the language of your spouse. You should try to do what they like. Okay? You may not, it may not be your thing, but you say, hey, if they like it, I need to do it. Um, in 30 years, Scott, this is true, 30 years, I've never had a husband call me up, say, Pastor Sandy, I just need some marriage counseling. Yeah, bro, what's up, man? He goes, my wife is always trying to seduce me, and it's just really ruining my relationship. <laughs> I haven't had one husband call me with that complaint. 
my husband, she's just always looking at me with those eyes. Like, she always smells good. She always looks good. This is just a problem. Not one time. I've never had one woman call me up. Pastor, my marriage is a wreck. My husband's romantic and thoughtful. He helps clean the house. I, I just don't know what to do. Not one time in 30 years. But I have had a lot of marriage counselings where there was unmet expectations. Where, well, they never, they sell them, they don't, they don't, they don't. So, okay, what does that tell us? The problem lies with saying, okay, if it's important to him, I need to make it important to me. If it's important to her, I need to make it important to me and try to do the best I can to meet that language. All right. Um, does that make sense? Yeah. All right. Well, I've gone a little longer than I anticipated, but I want you to be hungry. Because when you're hungry, you don't care if it's tacos or sausages. You're like, I'm just thankful for a sausage, all right? It seems to me like there was a man that came down to, on this earth that told us one thing. And he said, do, to under, do, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And what did Jesus do for us? He died for us. Amen. And so if you would bow your heads just for a moment, I have a, a question for you. And the question is this. If, you, if you've given your life to Jesus, you're good, all right? But if you have never given your life to Jesus Christ... Guys, I don't know what you expected when you came here today, but God knew you were coming. And if you're away from him, if you've never given your life to God, and that's something that you want to do, and it's something, again, that to get to heaven, we have to give our life to Jesus Christ. We have to accept the gift that he gave us. And this isn't a pressure thing. This is a, do you want salvation or do you not? And if you've never given your life to Jesus, never gotten your sins forgiven, I will tell you this, that you've searched for peace, you've searched for meaning, you've searched for purpose in a lot of different areas that the world says, hey, this will make you happy, and you know it didn't. The only thing that can bring fulfillment is a relationship with Jesus, it's forgiveness. And if you need that today, I'm gonna to ask you with nobody looking around, just me and you and the Lord, if, if that's you, just lift your hand up quickly. Okay, I see a hand in the back. Anybody else at all? Just wanna give your life to Jesus today. Again, I'm not, I don't take a long time because this is not something I'm pressuring anybody into. But let's pray with that person that raised their hand. And this church family, if you're new to us, this is we just pray it together as a family in support of the person that raised their hand. Let's just pray it. Dear Jesus, thank you for dying for me. I ask that you forgive me of my sins. Come into my life. Be my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You just got your spot in heaven. That's it. Amen. That's awesome. Cool. Awesome. Well, thank you guys so much for being here today. Um, did anybody learn anything? I, I know this helps me. I'm like, I really need to hear this. But uh, it, it, again, it's going to happen today. All right. So it's not tacos out there. There's sausages. And okay, just, just be thankful. I'll tell you this. If we were like three days without food, you wouldn't care what was out there. Right. If you were in a third world country, you'd be like, brother, bring it on. All right. So uh, anyhow, if you're brand new, uh, Pastor Steve is back at the info booth. And then we have our team set up out there to, to serve the food. There's hand sanitizers around. I would just encourage you to sanitize your hands um, again. But because we prayed already, they are holy dogs. Okay. Guaranteed. Love you. Have a wonderful day. See you Wednesday night. Thanks for coming.